You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? Shaka Cummings, Parker Ainsworth, F in Sports, the podcast where two teachers grade sports' biggest issues. Parker, how are you doing today, sir? Doing right, Shaka. Stayed up late watching some threes and some dunks, but guess I'm going to watch this All-Star game today even after what we talked about last week, huh? <laughs> after we spent a whole segment last week talking about lack of interest in the All-Star game, we're fans, so of course we're going to watch. I watched last night, watched the dunk contest, watched the threes, watched the skills, uh, and we'll start with uh, a claim talking about the dunk contest and the controversy involved. We'll also get into a little bit of XFL. And then our history lesson today will be around the transfer rules in the NCAA. So without further ado, Parker, you ready to go? Ready when you are, boss. All right, Parker. So the first claim for this week is that Aaron Gordon should have won the NBA Slam Dunk Contest. Well, I got to I gotta be honest, Jack. It's fun to do this today because it literally, as we're recording this, it just happened last night. Um, I've really enjoyed the Twitter reaction where everyone is like making quick snippets of Dwayne Wade's face and his reaction and very quickly pinning it on <laughs> Dwayne Wade. Um, I wrote something this week about how great a father Dwayne Wade is. I'm not sure he's a great judger, but the um, it's really it, it's really, really interesting to see uh, all of this assu- assumption that he would go with the Miami Heat player um, and that it was his fault. I don't know that I agree with the claim. I also think there's some personal preference there in how guys dunk and what dunks look like and stuff like that. After watching that contest last night, I felt like Aaron Gordon was robbed. And there are lots of pieces that go into that, including the fact that he scored a perfect score on five consecutive dunks. Now, on his sixth dunk, I actually think that that should have scored perfect as well. But if you want to argue that he didn't clear Taco, that's fine. I'm willing to hear that argument. 
I still believe that his dunk was better than a 47. And to hear from reporters that they spoke with Common, they spoke with Candace Parker, there was an understanding amongst the judges that they were just going to tie it. And one judge went rogue and Common says, well, you guys can go look at the scores and figure out who that is. It is obvious who that is once he says that. That it's obviously Dwayne Wade who played with Derrick Jones Jr. in Miami. I do think that there's something to be said for exactly what you pointed out, which is preference and style of dunk, right? Derrick Jones did a lot of between the legs. And Aaron Gordon does a lot of 360, a lot of spins. And so, you know, which is harder? I don't know. I've never dunked a basketball. They both seem ridiculously hard to me. And when I think about the dunk contest last night, there was a point when Aaron Gordon actually just went and did the same dunk that Derrick Jones did, almost to say, like, y'all think that's impressive? But the thing is, is that it's like, if you think that's so impressive, look, I can do it too. Let's see him do one of the things that I'm doing, um, which is interesting as well. So the judges were like, yeah, it was impressive when Derrick Jones did it. It's still impressive when you did it. I was on the opposite side in 2016. I thought Zach Levine deserved to win. And I was one of the few people it felt like the day after. Everyone felt like Aaron Gordon should have right. won that one. Well, it's that's funny because I'm kind of the flip-flop. I don't agree with Aaron Gordon winning last night. I did think he should have won in 2016. I think the moving mascot thing was crazy. But my thing on last night was, I as far as the last two dunks go, I think both should have been a 50. Um, I don't know how you pick out of those two, which is more difficult. Um, my reasoning for why I think the Aaron Gordon dunk to end should have been a 50, however, is because I think it's just like the first dunk Derek Jones Jr. did except, you know, from a little bit closer of a little bit taller person. Derek Jones Jr. opened it with a 46, jumping over Bam Adebayo from much further out. Bam Adebayo 6'10", standing further away from the basket. The vertical leap there is fairly similar. The common thing is like, well, he should have had straight 50s or whatever people are saying. Well, it's like, I kind of think Derek Jones Jr. should have had straight 50s. So, like, what's up? Like, I don't, I don't know what the, what the difference there is. Um... I, I will say one thing I liked about watching Derrick Jones Jr.'s dunks is every single time, if you watch how hard the ball bounced off the ground afterwards, it was violently coming off the ground, which means he is above the rim and spiking it through. Um, even from the free throw line with the windmill to spike the thing was crazy. I, like Anyway, or just a step inside. They made sure we saw that was a step inside, but... <laughs> he was just inside of the free throw line. I mean, that dunk is still crazy. I do think that it comes down to personal preference. Like, if you're between, if you look at those between the legs dunks, and that's like stylistically more impressive to you, then you're going to say Derrick Jones won. And if you like the spinning, the pirouetting, the 360, whatever you want to call it, Aaron Gordon did a lot of that. The uh, the one from. Markel Fultz off the side of the backboard where he caught that thing one-handed and he spun and he threw that thing down and he had touched it with the second hand. I felt like the when I watched Odell and Odell caught it with three fingers and then put another hand on the ball against uh, Dallas on Monday night, I was like, oh my God, right, I've never right, seen right. anything like that. It was crazy to me. I get that there's that stylistic difference and the reality in the scoring up until that point was that Aaron Gordon had more points. And even at the end of the contest, I love the tweet that you sent me 
uh, that I, uh, you sent it to me via text last night that compared it to uh, the Electoral College. At the end of the contest, Aaron <laughs> Gordon had more points and lost the contest. I don't know how exactly that ends up working out. The fact is, is that he scored more points and there's definitive controversy in the final round scoring. And Dwayne Wade is on Twitter now saying, oh, other people scored or not. I can't believe you guys are just looking at me because it was you. Like, just admit it was you. I'd have more respect for you if you just said, yeah, I did it. That's my boy. We played together. So what? <laughs> you, just, I, just, you did it. It's, you know, at the end of the day, it's the NBA Slam Dunk Contest. It's not, we're not deciding champion, we're not deciding team championships, right? It's a big deal to the guys who compete. And at the end of the day, for us as fans, I mean, really, it's all about interesting. Is the contest interesting? I definitively felt like last night's contest was interesting. The controversy makes it even more interesting after the fact. And Aaron Gordon, in my mind, should have won. I, I think there are a couple things, too, about last night. One, I thought both off the side of the backboard dunks were the best dunks of the night. Like, regardless of which one you go one to, both guys went off the side of the backboard, and that's as hard as it gets in sports. Or the next best dunk between those two was when... Uh, Derek Jones Jr. caught it off the backboard, went under the legs, and over the top of some random dude in a tie-dye hoodie. I don't know who that guy in the tie-dye hoodie was, Yo. but <laughs> he caught it, though, off the backboard. And again, this is just some Joe Schmo throwing off the backboard to him, so who knows how bad the pass. But he catches and goes under the legs. The ball is like only a half a foot above the guy's head. <laughs> like He could have easily fumbled that in that process if it was an, anyway. It, it, was a, it was a crazy dunk to me. To me, the actual best dunk of the night, or the, the not the best dunk of the night, but one of the more creative dunks of the night that is in the discussion. It's Connaughton, right? Going over Taco Fall. Yeah, it's just like going over Taco Fall at 7'5", Connaughton goes over Giannis and does a bank shot dunk. He hit the ball off the backboard and then dunks it. And Giannis is 7 feet tall. So just like Gordon goes over a 7'5 guy for what is really a very... Otherwise, routine two-hand dunk. He got his knees high or whatever. Connaughton goes over a seven-footer from a similar distance and then does something. The um, uh, best part of anyway. Connaughton's dunk was Candace Parker's reaction. Because So I, when I watched it on television, I didn't realize that he had banked it as well. But you could tell by her reaction that she saw it. Like her angle... She saw that he baked it. Yeah. She got up out of her seat. Her mouth was just a gate. Her whole face was like, dear God, I've never seen anything like that before. <laughs> it was amazing. Well, what's funny is there was an also, it wasn't over the top of anyone or anything like that, but Dwayne Wade banked the dunk himself a few years back in the All-Star game. I want to say it was, you know, back in the Heatles days. Um, and I, I kind of was waiting for Dwayne Wade to make a comment about that because I remember watching that vividly being like, oh my God. And then, Pat Connaughton yesterday does it over the top of Giannis, a seven-footer. I'm like, oh, that's crazy homage. That's going to be awesome, blah, blah, blah. And then Dwayne is, it's like you're saying, Dwayne was kind of like, yeah. His reaction was not, oh, that's cool. You're, like, remembering me. It was like, oh, yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> it was it was not the same kind of thing as Candace, who quickly saw it. Like you're saying, Candace was like, oh, my gosh, he just banked a dunk. Like, banking a dunk is a weird concept to have. It sounds like you fumbled it and missed and honestly, when he's up in the air, I kind of thought he fumbled the grab as well because his hands are in the air for a long time. That dunk was incredible. That's one of those that they'll we'll see that again as they continue to do kind of homages to dunk contests. One of the dunks that they brought back that I'd forgotten about from when I was a kid 
was uh, Rex Chapman. Did you see them bring that one back? They had uh, the video feed where Rex Chapman, he's he's got the ball in hand. He's not dribbling it. He's running toward the basket. He just throws it up behind the back to himself, catches it over his shoulder, and puts it in. And I'm like, dear God, how do I forget that? That was amazing. Like, I've never seen anyone yeah. imitate that since then. But anyway. So before we get into grading the claim about Aaron Gordon win the dunk contest in 2020, do you th- did you watch the videos of Zach Levine just goofing around on his own in the gym this week? He's taken off from the free throw line at 316. My question is, if he shows up out of the stands and flushes that thing down, <laughs> is that better than any of the ones we saw last? I mean, like honestly, like if he shows out and does some, Derek Jones Jr. is contorting his body in the air, and Aaron Aaron Gordon is going over the top of people with power. Um, and doing stuff while he's up there, just not twisting his body the same contortions. Levine is all about distance, and he is jumping from a long way away and doing stuff between point A and point B that just seems irrational, like not physically possible. So I, I don't know if that would have thrown a wrench in it because stylistically they are three dramatically different guys. Um, but I don't want to go a dunk contest bit without pointing out that one of the best dunks of the night never happened because it happened during the week because we were told by Zach Levine's people he wasn't going to compete if he won an all-star. Come on, coaches. Like, for real, we got Demata Sabonis. We can just, like, like, let's just put Zach Levine just to see that. <laughs> let's see him do that. And I I feel like um, it's probably not a coincidence that those videos got out there. Like, he probably, I mean, he went out. He said, I'm not doing the dunk contest unless I'm an all-star. All of a sudden, all these incredible videos of him dunking leak during All-Star Weekend, you don't think that that's going to be in the minds of folks next year as they're putting out their vote? This is what you guys missed out on. And I'll do the dunk contest again next year, and here's some of the stuff that I've been working on, and you know I'm going to have a whole year to work again. Scoring the dunk contest, because we talked about it a little bit, and you had some creative thoughts about maybe how we could do this so that we don't get to this kind of controversy again. So part of it... It's weird because part of the fun is how simplistic the scoring is. It's like your gut feeling each of the five guys is supposed to theoretically, five people I should say, is supposed to theoretically be giving it a grade of a 1 to a 10. You add them all up, you see who wins, yada, yada, yada. But as I was watching, and it, and it might have been because of the contortions that Derek Jones Jr. can put his body through while he's in the air for so long, I started re- like thinking about it like, if you did this like gymnastics and just gave, you know, point whatever for different amounts of things and for sticking landing type things, I'm not a gymnastics expert. I watch it every four years of the Olympics. But if you started assigning like very nitpicky points, I wondered if like you would have less controversy about who won because it wouldn't necessarily be about that gut feeling or, well, Dwayne Wade likes his homeboy more. It's more about like, no, it had a statistical or some sort of a more fine, detailed minutia that maybe the general public that can't dunk a basketball anymore doesn't understand, but the people in the contest knew going in. I don't know. The hiccup with gymnastics-style scoring is that then you're going to get into professional judges, right? You can't have, like, Chadwick Boseman, Wakanda forever, he can't judge the contest, right? Because he's not a pro, so now you got to get into... Maybe having past dunk contest winners do it all the time, which could be interesting. Like, wouldn't it be kind of cool if you just knew it was going to be Dr. J, Dominique Wilkins, you know, Harold Miner, Isaiah Ryder? Like, if you just knew it was going to be those guys every year, 
then all of a sudden, you know, somehow Dominique Wilkins gets to be known as the hard judge. You know, I don't know. That could be kind of cool, too. Um, but that would be the one piece to consider is that you can't have maybe those uh, regional ties. Let's yeah. let's 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 grade out the claim. So let's Aaron Gordon should have won the dunk contest. I'm giving that an A because I believe that he was robbed. I believe that Dwayne Wade was in on the fix. Uh, Dwayne Wade, great guy at the beginning of the week, villain at the end of the week. He's had a tough week. That's how I feel about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Parker, how would you grade the claim? I'd give it a B because I think it needs context. I think it needs the should have won the contest because he got six straight 50s or because he should have gotten a 50 for the taco fall or because whatever. But just saying should have won the dunk contest, it's like this is all opinions and styles. We just disagree. Sorry. You got to give me more than that. Um, the shame in the whole thing, though, is, and frankly, the better because clause is he should have won the dunk contest because he clearly raises the level of the competition, and now he says he won't ever do it again, and that's a shame for everybody. Like, we're, we're going to miss Aaron going to the dunk contest because the three he's been in have all been, out, you know, outstanding, and if he's not going to do it anymore, maybe Zach Levine's got to step up next year and we got to get in the All-Star game, whatever, because someone's got to keep that level high. And my deal with Aaron Gordon, I think he should have won the dunk contest because I thought he had the better dunks. But like you said, it really is a beauty's in the eye of the beholder. You know, I feel like I've seen a lot of guys go between their legs. I've seen guys do that in games now, right? Uh, and there were dunks that, I mean, obviously you're not going to get the opportunity to ever jump over Taco Fall in a game because he won't let you. He'll just body slam you. He also but, needs uh, to play in an NBA game first. <laughs> <laughs> when Taco gets out there... Everyone's going to be like, oh, my God, look at Taco. Um, but uh, the dunks that Aaron Gordon did, I, in my mind, they were better. He's, he, it was a better quality of dunk. And I love the one-upsmanship of him doing the dunk that Derrick Jones Jr. did and basically saying to the judges, like, oh, you gave that a 50? Let me show you. That's not one of the kind. Now, what I would have loved would have been for Derrick Jones Jr. to come back and say, oh, He's going to take one of my dunks and show that it's not that difficult to do. If he came back and did one of Aaron Gordon's dunks, maybe that that would have it would have been like a rap battle. That would have shifted my whole perspective. That would have changed my whole paradigm about this contest. All right, Shaka. Claim number two: the XFL is better than NCAA football. A lot of room for interpretation in that claim. So NCAA football encompasses three different divisions and even within one division there's two different sections so there's like a lot of room for interpretation um if you were to ask me straight up who would win a football game the uh new york guardians or alabama i would take the new york guardians i just think that the talent that's in the xfl is superior to the talent that's at the highest levels of college football. And for me, it's the same argument that comes up whenever there's a really good college football team and they want to compare and say, can they beat the worst team in the NFL? The answer is no. The best college football team of all time can never beat an NFL football team because the best college team of all time might have 15 NFL players on it and the NFL team has all NFL players on it. Therefore, the talent's always going to be better. And let's Um, sit on that for a second because that is something that has bugged me about listening and hearing people talk about the XFL as inferior the last, you know, 10 days or whatever, since even before it aired, is like, well, LSU would beat them. And it's like, 
sure, Joe Burrow might be better than the average XFL quarterback if he lives up to snuff and whatever, and yada, yada, yada. But the fact of the matter is, is he has a bunch of 22-year-old kids blocking for him, and there are professional grown men on the other side rushing at him. And that changes the whole game all of a sudden. Um, the There are... 50, only 50 schools in all of the country can say they have 11 players currently in the NFL. That's 11 from any graduating class, all put together. That's one side of the ball. XFL teams are full of guys that had a shot or were at the end of the bench on NFL teams, right? Or on practice squads in NFL teams, if not like recently out of the NFL. Like, there's a lot of talent in that league that is above those lines that 11 person threshold and it's on both sides of the ball i don't think that that i don't think that the game is even that close vegas did it you know the vegas insiders did hypotheticals vegas the other day did out put out their hypothetical and it was that they think they'd favor houston by i saw it because i was on houston twitter that uh they favor houston by seven uh it was seven or like eight and a half or something in an XFL-style game against LSU. Once upon a time, the measuring stick was how many NFL players you have on a particular team. And what that really meant was how many guys will get a shot in the NFL. Like, how many of those guys will get in and get a cup of coffee then be gone versus you're going to have a few guys that will come in and stick for a little bit. With the XFL, the reality is is that Alabama, Clemson, LSU, they don't have... 15 NFL guys. They might have five NFL guys and then 10 XFL guys. That's really the reality of it because even the best teams have guys that don't make it when they get to that next level. And what the XFL is, is the league of the guys who didn't make it when they got to that level, (laughs) which means that those were guys who were incredible college football players that are now playing in this tier that falls between the NFL and the NCAA. And that tier is going to be superior to the NCAA. And, I mean, even with the Joe Burrow example that you gave, how many first-round quarterbacks miss? So Joe Burrow is going to be the number one pick in the draft. And he probably statistically is just as likely to be playing in the XFL when his next contract rolls around as he is to get a second NFL contract, just based on how many guys miss at that level. The reality of the XFL is that not only are the players better, if you look at the coaches, June Jones, how mummy, USC was willing to blow up everything to go get Bob Stoops. Uh, I mean, we know this being Texas guys. When June Jones was at SMU, how many college coaches and NFL coaches would come down to SMU to go talk to that man about how to pass the football? He's, a, he's an incredible coach. He's an incredible coaching mind. These are the guys that they have in the XFL. And there's, I mean, there's ex-NFL coaches that are there too. Jerry Glanville's a defensive coordinator right. in this league, you know, and he was a head I coach saw in the Norm NFL. Chow call and play. Norm Chow's a, you I, know, got a, his crazy. Call, full Wikipedia page of D1 and in, in, in NFL places, NFL stops. Like, the idea that Norm Chow is just kind of doing this in his, you know, twilight of the end of his career kind of stuff, just crazy. Like, these guys are brilliant football minds. Will the XFL be around in five years? Because I the, the XFL and the ratings that it got in that first week, it makes you hopeful. And then you start doing the research and you realize that the AAF got pretty good ratings too early on in its first week. And I sent you the link 
of what the XFL did in terms of ratings initially the first time around. And, I mean, in terms of selling tickets, the ratings that it got, I mean, it was pretty impressive. And that league lasted one year. The AAF couldn't do an entire season. Uh, and so now I look at the XFL, and they're doing pretty good ratings. And the hope is, is that it'll stick around. And the reality is, will it stick around past March? Like, once March Madness rolls around and everyone's got a bracket sheet and everyone's checking in on the NCAA tournament, I'm wondering if the XFL can keep this momentum. Well, you bring up a great point about the NCAA tournament because while we're talking about the XFL versus college football, what I really see as its competitor is college basketball because that's the Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon sport that you'd otherwise be watching, right? They're just trying to get viewers and fans to watch their game instead of the average college game. And in this, you know, end of the regular season, we're in the second half of February now, that's a pretty easy sell. What's interesting about their time slot when you compare it to March Madness college basketball is the truth is, Shaka, they just have to beat out or survive those like two weekends where it's like nonstop games. Because the, you know, Elite Eight games on that one Saturday, right, those will start later. They're picking time slots that are more like the mid-afternoon, early evening, and those games will be wrapping up around the times that that weekend's Martin Madness games will be starting. And the same with the Final Four. There's two games that night. If the if the XFL is done by 6.30 or 7, like they're trying to be, we can watch both. And I think they can do that. I really do. I think the key will be a couple of things. They need to stay inventive. They need to keep up the creativity. And they need to continue to push the envelope in ways the NFL refuses to. They're creative and innovative until they're not, right? Eventually, those things become stale as well. I mean, there were things, obviously, the NFL did that was creative and innovative until, you know, now we're 10 or 15 years in, and it's like, oh, replay. Uh, when the reality was when NFL first got replay, people were excited at the opportunity to be able to utilize it, right? So there's, there's an aspect to the XFL that definitively feels different. And does it feel different in a way that says hey, this has long-term staying power, or does it feel different in a way that is like the latest trend? There are pieces around the NCAA experience that happens in March that, and I, I'm fully aware that the XFL had to have thought this through and knew that this was what they were going to go up against and made the conscious decision, we feel like we can go up against March Madness and be okay. March Madness is a cultural phenomena, unlike almost anything else that we have in sport in that there are people who do not watch college basketball that fill out a bracket sheet every year and it draws them in. Once again, the XFL has the hardcore football fan. So they're not trying to get those folks. It feels like the people they're trying to get are the ones who are going to be drawn into March Madness. And if they're drawn away from the XFL to go into March Madness, those don't feel like people you're ever going to get back because the reality is as soon as March Madness wraps up, we're in the NBA playoffs now. And then we go from the NBA playoffs into this is 2020. This is going to be an Olympics. I mean, there's there are things that it feels like are going to continue to hit the XFL in its first year that I don't know that they're going to be able to overcome. You hit on a point of mine that I really am glad you led me into is that this is is ESPN and Disney and ABC's baby in a lot of ways right now. 
I feel like they're really going to push getting this in front of eyes when TNT and Turner and TBS and True TV of all places are airing March Madness game. Like they don't have the same rights to those. And we've seen how ESPN like doesn't talk a lot about hockey because they don't have access to hockey in the same way. I'm not saying that ESPN will not cover the tournament. I'm not meaning to insinuate that at all. They clearly will. It's what gets eyes on their website and on their TV screen and so on. But I don't think they're going to do it at the expense of a baby they're trying to grow right now. The XFL is the XFL, though, right? I mean, the reality for ESPN is that if the XFL goes away tomorrow, okay. I mean, they're, they're the money that they're going to lose in terms of the investment is nothing to them. So for them, if the XFL fails, it fail. I mean, listen, it's Drago and Rocky. If it dies, it dies. If you're going to keep the XFL, you better keep putting those over-unders on the screen. You better keep telling me the odds during the game. The gambling aspect is how you're going to keep people with the XFL. And the XFL was incredibly intelligent in making sure that they had those tie-ins. To me, that's the only way to tie to keep this momentum going through March because March is such an animal in and of itself. And March already has every tie-in that the XFL hopes to have, the NCAA basketball tournament already has in spades. And so the best that the XFL can do is hope that it can hold on in some shape or form to the niche that it's kind of created for itself with the 13 million or so viewers that are watching it every weekend, or at least these first couple of weekends. And listen, the reality is if you can hold on to those, that's awesome. I'm just, I, I, I feel that a percentage of those are going to get pulled away, and it's going to f- end up feeling like the XFL felt the first time around, which is it started with incredible momentum, and then every week fewer people were watching, fewer people were paying attention. The next thing you know, there was an NFL or an XFL championship game, and it it was the tree falling in the forest when no one was around to hear it. I mean, it didn't make no sound. No one cared. Nobody cared. Yeah, I just I think ESPN sees this as a way they can push something onto us, and I think that's a big take. I also agree that it is the only thing where I am constantly reminded throughout the game, both visually and audibly, about how much gambling there is on in sports. And I don't think that college basketball or college sports are ever going to want to get to that even though there's just as much gambling, and I don't mean there's not, outside of like the Action Network, though, few people want to remind us that people are getting rich gambling on these college kids not getting paid. Except they do the bracket stuff every year. That's what that is. So with that's what I'm saying. With College basketball already has that tie-in with the brackets. While there may not be individuals who are betting every single game, how many billions of dollars are tied up into NCAA tournament brackets? There's billions of dollars that are already tied into that system. And that system, it's been around for too long for the XFL to come in and shift that paradigm in one year. But it doesn't have to overcome it. It just has to survive the period. That's and, the and thing. That's, that's, that's my that's, thing, though, is that if you're talking about people that are gambling, if you're talking about people that are gambling lines, what's better to take away someone who's gambling lines' attention off of a pregame show than to give them a constantly updated game that has active lines in it. I mean, that, that to me, I think that's still, if you're if you're that gambler that's like just betting the lines, they're giving you all that information mid game. It, it's a it's a different different beast to me. Um, no, it's it's a different form of gambling, but it's all gambling. And the reality is is that the 
people who are gambling lines, there's a lot fewer people that are doing that than the people who are filling out these NCAA tournament brackets. So again, if we're starting to talk about level of investment, the NCAA has a built-in space, and the XFL is, the reality is the XFL, like you said, it doesn't have to beat the NCAA tournament. It just has to hold on. It has to survive. What I have seen, what my experience has been, and what both our experiences have been, what the experience of any league that's trying to exist in confluence with the NFL ever has been is that it goes away. The NFL beats everyone. The NFL beat the AFL. The NFL beat the USFL. The NFL beat the XFL the first time. The NFL beat the Arena Football League. The XFL beat the AAF. And the XFL is now the the current iteration. Can it survive with the NFL? I don't know. If the NFL had some sort of partnership with the XFL, I would feel a greater sense that the XFL will survive. But the NFL doesn't so, need the XFL. It doesn't, they don't. Except, what do you think about... So Oliver Luck's comments this week were he is open to letting guys that have played a year or two of college ball come in to the XFL as opposed to having them fill out, finish out their three-year commitment to a college program before joining the NFL. If he opens that floodgate to me, it's you're a guy a that follows Kentucky... It's not a floodgate. It's not. It, not it, but these guys are going to make go make money. They can go make money they're make, instead of. They're going to make $50,000. Let me ask you this, Parker. You're a left tackle for Notre Dame. You're a left tackle for Notre Dame. So you're not a quarterback, but you know left tackles make money. You are an All-American after your sophomore year. You're a true sophomore, so you're not a redshirt. That means you're not eligible for the draft. You're telling me that you're going to go risk your body for $50,000 playing in the XFL? Or are you going to hold on one year and go get the guaranteed millions in the NFL? One year I'm going to play for free, and one year I'm going to play for fifty grand. And either way, the next year I'm in the NFL. That's the thing. You're assuming that either way, the next year you're in the NFL. You have to you're decide. You're assuming it too, though, by saying I'm staying at Notre Dame, right? Because if you're saying I'm staying at Notre Dame. It's less, listen, it's a lower caliber football, and the reality is I'm going to dominate there. I know I'm going to dominate there because I've always dominated there. You're going to take a risk. You're going to go to the XFL. You're going to play against what you said are grown men who have been playing football. So now you as a a 20-year-old, you're going to take that risk to go up against this guy who had five years in the league and he's kind of been messing around, but now he's 30 years old. He's playing the XFL. Now he's the defensive end I'm going up against. So now I can get shown up by this guy. And heaven forbid he rolls my ankle. That's a huge risk. And we've, we've seen it with the USFL. The USFL did the same thing. Herschel Walker, right, he did the USFL, then he went to the NFL when the USFL folded. And Jim Kelly did the same thing. There's guys who maybe would take that risk. I don't think the best players will. I think the best players are going to say it's safer to stay in college. Trevor, They would never get Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence won a national championship after his freshman year. He has no reason. Like the guys who have who the XFL would want to get – are actually incentivized to stay in the NCAA because I can dominate that level and it's safer for me at that level. There are kids that want the, because you don't know when that ACL tear is going to happen and you hope it never happens, that want the certain grand now and want to perform against better competition now and get compensated for it and then go get play against the best in a couple years. I don't think that that's just gone. I think that that's a very valid possibility you're right that the NCAA is safer I, I don't I don't mean it's safer in the sense that they're playing against smaller people that's fair and that's fine and dandy 
But the truth is that there will be kids that want that 50 grand. And the moment one of them is a potential four or five star kid, or the moment that one of them is a Herschel Walker, things can change if this league continues to survive. I, I, I'm not. It, it has to survive for that to happen. And I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that it doesn't. All I do is I look at the NCAA in terms of basketball. And if your reality was the reality for the XFL, we would see more of this in basketball. And how much of it is a one-off in basketball? How much of it is, you know, we'll get one or two guys a year that are high-level recruits that go and play in Europe or go play overseas. The overwhelming majority of them say, hey, listen, I'm going to come do the, N- do the NCAA thing. Now, it's not quite apples to apples because you only have to do one year of NCAA basketball. So I fully recognize that. Uh, and the NCAA has infrastructure that's just built in already for you to come in and get better. I don't think that there's any football player who would look at the XFL and say, I'm going to do that for my three years. I have to wait three years before I can go to the NFL. I'm going to go do that. You can, but, The chance of injury, you talked about wear and tear before. That's going to be greater wear and tear potentially. And I'm going in there as an 18-year-old, again, playing against grown guys who are in the league. These guys could show me up, and then I don't look as good versus playing against kids who are my age where I feel like I can show out. So the to, college basketball example, though, and two of the top – you know, potentially top pick and two of the top potential 10 picks are playing in Australia right now. I get that. And one of them wasn't even eligible for the NCAA. You think LaMelo Ball was going? Please. We know. The other kid, we, the other the kid ball, graduated I, high school early. I, 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 like I, I get, yeah, RJ Hampton did his thing, right? And I've said, there have been one-offs that have done that. But that's what they are. They're the one-off. And listen, if you get a one-off who does the XFL thing, that's good for the XFL. That has nothing to do with the NFL. That's not going to impact what the NFL does. The NFL's like, okay, take oh, your one off. Just like the NBA is like, okay, RJ Hampton, you want to go to Australia? Go to Australia, whatever. The, the thing that's going to make the the NBA move is that they realize, man, we should have just had Zion for another year, and we just missed on him. The way that kids are potentially, if the LaMelo and RJ thing works out, and the way Luca came in from overseas and worked out, if kids start seeing the overseas thing as, oh, this is another option, the NBA is either going to drop the one and done, they're going to let them go to the G League, they're going to make something to where they can have those prospects close by, right? Um, I think that's a very easy transition for them. I don't see why that couldn't happen in the XFL, where the NFL is like, oh, we can make this a glorified minor league where we are hitting up for, hitting it up for players when we need practice squad guys or when we need whatever. Because I, the, the NFL already has a glorified minor league. It's called college football, and the NFL has to invest $0 into it. I'm investing $0 into a product that's feeding me all the players that I need. Why would I take any money and invest it into this other thing? I mean, when the NFL did the World League, that's what the World League was. And the World League couldn't survive unless the NFL kept pumping money into it. So the NFL eventually said, just stop pumping money into that thing. It'll die on its own. And then it did. The NFL, this if the NFL wanted to partner with someone, they would do it with the CFL. Because the CFL has infrastructure and tradition that's already built in. If the NFL hasn't done that, it's not going to do it with this entity that exists outside of it. No, and but especially. They just Especially not by the threat of these kids coming in that are high school. Football doesn't lend itself to high school kids coming in it's and not, dominating right away. It's not about finding a financial partnership with the XFL. It's about not tanking it. Because you're right. They could tank it tomorrow if they really wanted to. 
they could figure out some way to be like, you know what, XFL makes you ineligible to ever play in the NFL or something crazy and tank it. It's not about the idea of them being direct financial partners. It's about them finding a way to not tank the league because the XFL is, you're right, at the whim of the NFL in a lot of ways because the NFL could do away with it really quickly if it ever wanted to. The claim being that the XFL is superior to NCAA football and how we would grade out that claim. So I started the conversation by saying that there's a lot of wiggle room in that claim, and it's the wiggle room in that claim that actually makes me want to dock it in terms of a grade. If we are talking about XFL, that product, those players, those coaches being able to beat NCAA teams, it's an A claim. If we're talking about the viability of NCAA football versus the XFL, I think that NCAA is clearly more viable. That's an F claim. So if I'm going to go in between A and F based on those factors, then I'm going to give the claim a C. So I'm in a similar boat in that because the claim has wiggle room, I can't pinpoint exactly where to grade it. If the claim is just is the XFL a better football product than NCAA football for a number of reasons, both the talent on the field and the access and the creativity and so on, I give that an A, but that has a extra clause that this claim does not have. If it's the XFL is better than the NCAA because it's, I don't know, be, because it's gonna be a better sports league in 10 years, something like that, even I, as someone who thinks this league has a shot for at least a short run, have to give that an F because, A, the NCAA football spectrum. I mean, Saturdays in the South are a whole different deal that you can't really replicate. And even the NFL doesn't really replicate a Saturday in the South, right? Um, that is something that is like reserved for like the SEC or, you know, Southern football and like the English Premier League. Like, that's it, right? Um, and B, the second reason I would give it an F is that that's not really its competition to me. The, the competition for it to me is, like we talked about earlier, several other things. I don't know why it needs to be competitively or whatever type of better than college football because it doesn't, doesn't matter. They don't, they're not, they don't actually compete with one another for eyes or ears or anything. So that gives an F to me. If I'm finding somewhere in the middle, C's being nice, I, I might give it a C minus. I might pass the kid for thinking about something, but I... I don't know. The claim is loose. No, the kid's eligible. That's all that matters. So you give the kid <laughs> eligibility, and that's really all that matters. Well, if the kid can't hoop, they make it an F, and then they can go somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Parker. So for today's history lesson, we're going to look at the age-old issue of the NCAA and their transfer rules. Now, just for folks to have an idea of the genesis of where this is coming from, Mel Tucker is the head football coach at Michigan State. This time last week, Mel Tucker was the head football coach at the University of Colorado. But Michigan State had their head coach resign. They went out looking, and now Mel Tucker is in. And he's able to leave schools. So now we want to look at players and their ability to be able to leave schools. And so the claim, Parker, is that there should be no restrictions on transfers in the NCAA. Uh, well, first of all, it's a claim I agree a lot with, so that's going to help the student out. I would want some sort of a clause on there about, like, I don't want 
guys just up and leaving to head, you know, when Alabama realizes they're not going to the, you know, NCAA championship game, I don't necessarily want them just up and ditching for LSU in the middle of the season. But outside of like finishing the season you start, I think I'm okay with just about any other kind of transfer. I don't think I have any qualms about transferring because like you said, just open this bit, coaches do it all the time. As you mentioned, as long as the transfers do not impact the current season in which you are in, that you should have the freedom to be able to transfer schools. Schools shouldn't be able to put restrictions on you. This was something that happened in the SEC where coaches would not, they would allow a student to transfer and then put restrictions on which schools they could transfer to. And to me, that's crazy. If, if I'm at Alabama and I want to leave and go to Georgia, why is Alabama able to restrict me from going to Georgia? They shouldn't have any impact. I'm leaving. You want me to stick around? I don't want to be there. So let me leave and I go wherever I want to go. And I, I'm not one of these people who thinks that this is going to somehow open up some sort of Pandora's box in the NCAA. If a kid doesn't want to be there, then they can go. If a coach gets the reputation of recruiting players off of other rosters, trust me, that will take care of itself inside of coaching circles and within the NCAA. If coaches are able to maneuver freely, I think that players should be able to maneuver with that same level of freedom. The reality is we can talk about the reasons that students should pick a school as an athlete. A lot of the reason why I pick a school, I imagine, is because of that coach. And if that coach is able to up and leave with really no ramification other than things that are contractual, I don't understand why I can't do the same thing. Because I can get into that system and realize, you know what, it's not for me and I want to go somewhere else. Things can happen in life and I now need to transfer and go to another school. And we don't restrict any other student at a school in terms of transfers. We only do this with athletes. The students who actually generate the revenue. I generate revenue for you, so you want to keep me based on the revenue that I generate and restrict me from where I can maneuver. But you're not going to do that with that kid that's pre-med. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me as to why you would do it, except for the money. And if the only reason why you're doing it is the money, then you're not taking into account the student and what is actually in their best interest. The system needs to be blown up. Well, and I guess my thing is, is that people have always thought about this when, like, the head coach leaves. But the truth is, in football, is like your coordinator is as important as that guy is, right? I mean, if you're absolutely, the, if you're a, a you know a certain type of safety and your defensive, you know, if you're a down type of safety that likes to freelance and your defensive coordinator bounces, the next guy coming in might not like you running around like Troy Palomalu as great as Troy Palomalu was and like doing your own thing. He might want more control than that. It also has clearly worked for kids. We just watched. Joe Burrow transfer to from Ohio State to LSU, put in his two years there, and be like the best player on a NFL talent loaded field in an NCAA championship game. I like it works. It it's the kids find a system that's best for them and it works. And I think that that's an important factor is like giving them a little bit more room to operate has worked in their favor and in our favor as viewers. Why, would that con- why wouldn't that continue if we gave them more room to operate? If we had a system that took into account what was in the best interest of the student-athletes, there would be no restrictions in terms of transfers. 
the only reason to restrict transfer is money. It's because a student athlete could potentially generate revenue for your institution if they stuck with your school. And now you want to have them stay at your school because of that revenue. If I tell you I don't want to be there, you should let me go. There's so many pieces around how the NCAA does transfers that I I just don't understand. I don't understand why it why the system is the way that it is. And what I've always learned is when you can't understand why something is the way that it is, follow the money. And that's what comes down to with transfers. <laughs> it's the money. It's You want to keep kids so that they can generate the revenue for your school. So you put restrictions on where they could go. You tell them they have to sit out a year. And it's the most ridiculous thing. We don't ask the coaches to follow their contracts. The coaches are employees of the school. And you don't require them to live up to their employment agreements. So now we're going to tell a player who's a student, not an employee. And the NCAA wants to draw clear distinctions between those things. They won't let the players unionize. So if you want to draw these clear distinctions, then you better treat them like you treat every other student. And when it comes to every other student, they can transfer. There's not an issue. So allow NCAA athletes to transfer. If you don't want the kid to transfer to somewhere in your conference, if you're, like if you're Alabama with, with the reference you made earlier, or if you're Kentucky and the kid is looking to go to Tennessee or, or, or you don't want to play against them, make your situation more appealing. Like, don't worry about, oh, man, we're going to have to play them now. Like, if you weren't playing them, then why are you worried about playing against them? And if you were playing them and you're worried about them leaving, make playing for yourself more appealing and stop worrying about putting handcuffs on kids and keeping them in your program. And as we grade this claim, I'm imagining that the grades are going to be uh, pretty similar. So uh, the original claim was that there should be no restrictions on transfers by students who participate in NCAA athletics. Obviously, that's like an A++++ for me. I don't think there should be any restrictions. If the students want to transfer, they can transfer. I, I think they should be able to transfer as many times as they want. It's, it's about student experience. At some point, let's actually allow the students to be empowered because a system has been created by the NCAA that doesn't really allow for any sort of student empowerment whatsoever. It is clearly a system that is meant to benefit all the entities outside of the student in ways that the student can never see that level of benefit. And I'm specifically talking monetarily. Student can never get access to those funds, allow that student to be able to maneuver to different schools the way that any other student can maneuver to different schools. Oh, you said A++++. I might plus, limit plus, it to plus, 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 plus. <laughs> I might just limit it to one plus because I just want to make sure we have the stipulation that like you're not jumping ship mid season, um, or you can you can sit out the rest of the season I guess if you really want to, but like just because you know they're you know front running there or whatever. But outside of that, in between seasons, any sort of off season move after spring ball, whatever, go do it. Go go where it's best for you, kid. I mean you're you only get to play four years of college sports, right? Even with a redshirt, you only get to play four. Spend them where you can play and do well and enjoy it and be at the right place. College is a once-in-a-lifetime thing, man. Do it. If you got to do it at four schools, do it at four schools. Do wherever it's best for you. So that's FN Sports for this week. Three great claims. Got to talk about the dunk contest. Got to talk about the XFL. Got to talk about NCAA transfers. We're always curious as to what you think uh, as the listeners what do you think of the claims? What do you think of the arguments? And now we're even better equipped to field your responses. 
because we have our own Twitter page. So please go follow us on Twitter at FNSports2. That's the Twitter at FNSports2. Please leave us feedback. Let us know what you think of the pod. Let us know what you think of the claims and the arguments that we gave. We'd love to interact with you. Parker, you want to hit folks up with your social media stuff? Yeah, obviously you can find either one of us through FN Sports 2 on Twitter. My personal stuff is all at P Ainsworth 512 That's at Painsworth512 on either Twitter or Instagram. If you got a real problem with my grades, you think I'm too easy, too hard, or you think I should be looking at different aspects of the claim, let me know. Um, i got to be honest, if you want to look at stuff that I, you know, claims we've made about other things or you want a bunch of retweets about random sports moments i'm good for that too so find me on social uh at painsworth 512 i'm at shaka cummings at c-h-a-k-a-c-u-m-m-i-n-g-s on twitter and please interact we love to uh, do that we love the follows like subscribe share anywhere you can listen to a podcast we are on so spotify apple google whatever so go out there check us out Give us feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you guys for listening this week. We'll be back next week with a few more claims to grade out. And please remember, when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 